Well, thank you for being here today. This is a fascinating parable, and we're going to get into it. So, before we get into it, I would invite you, if you are the praying kind, to pray with me. God of grace and mercy, God of power and might, God of justice, God of faith, God who has met us in every moment of our lives, even when we didn't know it. God who prepares our hearts and souls and minds. God who loves us through all. Be with us in this moment and let us know that you are with us. Help us to be aware of your presence in ourselves and in others and in this world. Help us to be moved in our hearts and our souls and our words and our bodies towards you and your love and not away. And God, if any of my or our words today should not be of you, help us to notice, to become aware, and to turn around and do things differently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon series we're doing this month is on money. All of the different ways that we interact with money, all the different things that it means to us. And this Sunday in particular, we're talking about how we earn money. Because each day that we are taking, we are thinking about earning, saving, or giving based on uh, an aphorism that John Wesley, a theologian in the 18th century, used to have where when asked about the use of money, he was one of the few people who would write about money a lot. Then as now, people are reluctant to talk about money, right? They think it's awkward, they think it's silly, they think it's strange, they think it makes you embarrassed. Um, and, And when asked how we should use our money, he would say we should earn all we can, save all we can, give all we can. Earn all we can, save all we can, give all we can. I don't know that I'm going to come down as saying that that is exactly 100% right, but I do think it's a good way to think about the way that we relate with money. The way we get it, (laughs) the way we keep it, and the way we give it away. Where is God in the ways that we get money? Where is God in the ways that we keep money? And where is God in the ways that we give it away? And what does it mean for us and who we are? These are the questions we're going to be asking. And today, we're asking the question about earning money, which for most of us means work. I assume, you know, maybe some of us are landed gentry who get an income each year. We're an Austin character, right? We're living off of the interest of the capital of our parents. But most folks, most folks here, the way that you earn money is some form of work or labor, something that you do that somebody gives you dollars for. And, and what is work? Work is kind of hard to explain and kind of hard to understand. Um, I have learned this both in having my parents try to explain it to me and in trying to explain it to my kid. My dad is a guy who loves work. He is, I mean, just, you know, workaholic, the picture. Um, he, but he enjoys it, right? He works a lot of hours. He brings his work with him wherever he goes. He's thinking about it. Um, and he really, really enjoys it. And so when I was a kid, he would often be away working. And there came a time, um, and I'll say, if any of you are working parents, I have no memory of feeling sad or mad about this. I am very close to my parents now. But when I was a kid, I had a toy telephone. And I started calling the toy telephone Daddy. (laughs) Because so much of my conversation with him was over the phone. And so I think my parents thought, maybe it's time to have a conversation about why Daddy's missing all the time. (laughs) So that she doesn't think that she's being abandoned. And so they tried to explain, Daddy has to work. Okay, what's work? (laughs) Work is a place where grown-ups go to do things that you don't understand. 
okay, why do they have to go there? Why can't they stay with me? Well, we need money, right, to buy a house, to give you food, to give you clothes, to give you toys. Why can't you get money without going to work? <laughs> uh, there's not a lot about work that like, makes sense in an intuitive, childlike understanding of the world. And what would have made even less sense is, my dad was lucky enough that he didn't just work for money, he also worked for enjoyment, for vocation, right? There were aspects of his work that, um, and this is true of my mother too, uh, both when my mother was working in outside of the home jobs and when she was a parent, that there were aspects of those vocations that spiritually formed her, that she loved, that he loved, that made them who they were. Their work was not just utilitarian. It was something that was the substance of their life and something that gave them joy sometimes and something that made them angry sometimes. And that aspect of work of the way that we spend our days and the ways that it is and isn't related to earning money, I think are hard to understand. And they don't actually become easier to understand as we grow older. We just become inculcated into the system enough that we stop asking the question of what is happening here? What is happening to me and what are we doing? And I think that's unfortunate um, because work is a huge part of our lives and of our spiritual lives. And if we're not asking the question of what does it mean to me, how am I asking for support in this? How am I praying about my work? How am I talking to God about my work? How am I talking to my community, my small group about my work? We're basically saying that up to a third or half of our lives isn't really happening and isn't worth thinking about. And that doesn't really seem to me like a way to live. Whether you love your work, hate it, or are looking for work and are being burdened by unemployment, right? No matter which one of those categories you fall into, this is a part of what is happening to us. This is a part of our spiritual life. And so I want to invite us today and throughout the month to get more honest about the ways in which money is entering into our lives, about the ways in which work is entering into our lives, and start talking to people about it. <laughs> Here's where I'm confused. Here's where I need prayer. Here's what's on my mind. Because if we don't, we will allow ourselves to be formed by the world's understanding of work which is a deeply harmful and unhealthy one. Which, I mean, I guess to its credit, takes work seriously, which sometimes in the church we haven't, but it takes it too seriously. Some of you have probably heard of a works righteousness faith, right? This is how people talk about um, works righteousness as a, a theology of where you like earn God's love instead of just getting it through putting in you know, coins of good deeds. I do this many good things, and then God loves me, as opposed to what's the truth, which is that God just loves you and adores you and thinks that you're magnificent no matter what you've done or what you're doing. I think the United States is a work righteousness culture. We think that all of how you gain respect and all of who you are and all of what you're about is typified by your work and how you make money. First question people ask at a party is what do you do? Many of us don't, even, don't have an answer to that question, and then all of a sudden we're right set off by that. And any, if you do have work, if you're lucky enough, uh, you get involved in these competitions right? of who's spending more time at work, who is more tortured by that work, who is more invested by their work. We live in a culture that says the way that you prove that you're worthwhile, not to God, but to everybody else, is by the work that you do and how much of it you do. And that is a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. So we're stuck, really, between these two lies, one of which is 
uh, historic church tradition of not talking about money and not talking about work at all because it's weird and awkward, or having it be our whole identity and where we place all of ourselves. And I want to say that Jesus is calling us to neither one. God is calling us to neither one. God is calling us to something in the in-between where our work matters to our spiritual life. And we want to be honest about that. But our work is also not our identity. It is not who we are. Who we are is God's, and who we are is beloved, and who we are is created, regardless of any of the work situation. And once we know that, it actually makes taking all of these work spirituality questions seriously much easier. Because they're no longer questions about who am I, they're questions about what is happening to me and what can I do in it and about it. And as weird as this parable is, as strange as this parable is, that is the one thing I truly love about it, is that it says the everyday of your life, of your work, of the strange things that are happening to you, of your bad boss and your colleagues that you're jealous of, and of the money that you have and the money that you don't and the money that you bury, all of that stuff is where your faith is happening, and I see it. That's what I love about this parable, is that it's about the stuff that is really happening to us. (laughs) It's about the stuff that is really happening to the people who Jesus is talking to, because Jesus would have been talking to servants and enslaved people. And people who were put in these kinds of strange positions by the people who thought they owned them every day of their lives. And he takes that seriously. He says, this is where I will teach about spirituality and the stuff that is happening to you. And the stuff that is the stuff of your life. Now there are a lot of other things about the parable that I find a little bit confusing. <laughs> and this is a classic both for this parable and for all parables. Parable, and I'm just good, parable. Parable is just another word for story, just a word to make theologians think that they fancy about stories that Jesus told in response to questions, okay? They're just stories. But the thing that makes them parables is that they're confusing stories and they're complex stories. That they're stories where somebody asks a question or somebody does a thing and they're like, Jesus, give me the ruling. Everybody wants Jesus to be a ref, right? They want Jesus to be like, safe, out, do this, don't do that. That's what they want from Jesus, and Jesus just never gives it. He's like, sorry, buddy, not how I work, not how salvation works, not a rule book, right? Not a ref. They ask him for a ruling, and he always gives a story. And often those stories are rich, so rich that they have lasted thousands of years without us being able to determine one unitary way of seeing them. And that's what I love about them. That's what's good about them is that they are for us, in whatever is happening to us spiritually at the time. They are for all of us, and they are for us in different phases. There is not just one interpretation of each parable that you're going to find, and then you're going to have the nut cracked, the door unlocked. It's never how it's going to be. Because you're going to come across a lot of different nuts to crack and a lot of different doors to open throughout your life. And the parables will meet you there each and every time. I had a preaching professor in seminary who, he would never say, what does the text say? He loved scripture more than almost anyone I've ever known, and I loved it too, and so I loved him. But he would say, what does the text allow you to say? What does the text open up to, like a flower that blooms? What can be here? What can it teach us? Because it could contain many different things. And that is how we should approach all of this kinds of scripture, but especially this one. 
because this one is confusing. It's a story, right, of three people. Ten talents, five talents, one talent. Or five, two, one, depending on whether you're reading Luke or Matthew. Lots and lots of money and even, even more money is the real category, right? A talent was 6,000 days of wages. So he is handing to these people millions of dollars, right? I hand you millions of dollars. I'm going away. I'm not telling you when I'm coming back. Figure out what to do with it. And two people who have a lot say, I'm going to make more. And it's actually unclear how they make more, whether they invest it or whether they steal it or whether they start a business with it, right? Or, or It's unclear what they do, but they make more. And then one is scared and buries it under the ground. And when the master finds out what the three of them have done, he rips into that third one, saying, you could have done the bare minimum and it would have been better than fearfully rejecting, right? It would have been better than just being scared and putting it under the ground and doing nothing with it. And how we think about this parable depends a lot on which character we think God is. Because the first instinct is to say, oh, well, the master is God, right? That's what we do with most of the parables. Whoever's in charge in the story, that's the God one, (laughs) whoever's in charge. Uh, except that Jesus keeps saying all of this annoying and confusing stuff about the last being first and the first being last and everything being dramatically different than you expect it's going to be in the kingdom. So it's actually not so obvious, maybe, that God's always the one in the story who's in charge. So if, the God, is, if God is the master, then what God is saying here in this parable is something that I do, a couple things that, that feel very true to me, one of which is everything that exists is mine. You only have it temporarily. Any money, any clothing, any stuff is yours for a moment to see what you might do with, right? You can't take it with you. (laughs) It's not yours permanently. In my kingdom, we will not have currency, I don't think. Um, But it also says that, that God is angry with someone who is fearful and that God is like a master who in every single other story of the Bible, Jesus seems to not like too much. Right? He doesn't really like these people who are mistreating their servants. And, go, and, and it says that the master goes away for a long period of time, where we know God to be a God who, in the rest of the scriptures, shows up all the time. So there's things about that that make sense, and then there's things about that that are confusing. Um, and then there are other interpretations that say that, that God actually is that third servant, that God is the one who messes up the system by burying the money, who says, this is not right, And so I'm going to do it a different way. And there's something about that that makes sense with the other ways that God talks about money, but that doesn't make sense with the end of the story. We're pretty clearly, right, the master says this uh, separation, this weeping and gnashing of teeth um, that sounds a lot like other things that Jesus says. I don't actually think we're going to be able to decide (laughs) which one is true. I think we're going to have to pray about it and invite the Holy Spirit to say to us, what does this story say to me now? In this moment in my life, what am I being called to? And how am I being called to transform? And how am I being called to change? And how am I being called to see you and know you in what is happening to me? Because I think that's something that if this story were a true story and not a parable, would be happening to the master and the servants and everyone watching them all of the time forever. So what can we learn about it today as we think about earning money? One, I think, is that if everything is God's to begin with, then what we do in our lives, what we do in our work, what we do with our money certainly matters. It matters for our faithfulness and for our responsibility. 
One of the things that's really interesting to me about getting to go to coffee with all of you, and if you haven't gone to coffee with me yet, turn in your chair off. I'd love to go to coffee with you. Um, is that a lot of what I hear are stories of ethical questions at work and stories of dealing with debt and unemployment that are painful. This is what is happening to us. This is what is happening to you. This is what is happening to the people around us. I have a lot of people who come to me and say, I don't know whether my work is right. Like, I'm doing things every day and I'm good at them and I make a lot of money that I then use in ways that are rich, but I, the things I'm doing every day, they either are very boring or I think they might be hurting the world. <laughs> and what do I do? And then I meet with people who are doing things that they are sure are good for the world, the teachers and the social workers, but they're not so sure that they're good for them. <laughs> They've been doing so much of the good stuff that they have become, at the end of their rope, or they're irritable with their families, or their spiritual life has gone dry, or they just can't anymore. And they wonder, is doing good enough of a reason to feel and be this way? Or is there another way I can be at my work? And then I have people who normally feel good at work but have a real question that has been brought up with them. I had one person um, a few months ago who works in the healthcare profession. So they uh, are uh, providing health to others. And there was an elderly, sick person, right? So someone normally you would think my Christian duty is to serve this person. Uh, this person is a person of color. And that person asked them to make sure that none of their nurses and none of their doctors were people of color ever. So what do you do, right? Sick old lady who is my job to serve asking me to do a racist thing <laughs> that impacts other people's jobs. What do I do? <laughs> what is God calling me to do? And that person, I'm so glad that they talked to me about it and talked to their small group about it, but I think most people are facing stuff like that at work every day and not thinking that it's something that you bring to God <laughs> or bring to your faith life, that it's somehow a strategic work question. But it's not. It's a faith question, right? It's an ethical question. It's a question that is as complicated as the parables in that every answer involves something that's not quite perfect because it's life, right? It's something where we have to pray and invite one another to figure out how do I move more towards love and mercy and justice in this situation, however imperfectly, in my work. So that's one of the lessons that we have to be... Uh, not looking for ref calls, but looking for God's guidance in our work situation and that God cares about that stuff that is happening to us. God cares about our unemployment. God cares about our debt. We talked about that on Save Sunday. We'll be asking if maybe we should have a jubilee, if none of y'all know what the jubilee is. Cancel all the debt, get rid of it. Uh, the other thing is that we have to stop thinking of our work as where we earn salvation, grace, or love. It's just not working for us. At Urban Village, this, this month is Pledge Month, and so we're asking, if you can, to pledge your money to the work of the church because we think we're doing important stuff. And one of the ways that Urban Village tries to exercise faithfulness and responsibility to the fact that people give us their money to do things is that we also try and earn some money on our own to make even more ministry possible. We have started as a church a church planting cohort where we coach and train people, the pastors, to plant other churches. We think that extends the mission, but also they can pay a fee. Often planters get some resources for that. And then we help to build up what the church can do, the ministry we can do. We're writing a book. Some of you might not know this, I realized, uh, that'll be published next year or in early 2020 about, our, about anxiety and ways that we approach anxiety. And so we've been working with an editor on that. 
We try all different ways to kind of earn money to basically be faithful and responsible to the task. But at the end of the day, none of those are what makes our mission. God makes our mission. (laughs) All of the ways we try to earn, all of the ways we try to give, all of the ways we try to save are faithfulness questions in the midst of life. But none of them, none of them are who we are, who the church is, or who God calls us to be in the world. We are saved already. (laughs) You might be able to earn money, but you can't earn love, and you can't earn a mission. Urban Village's mission to serve all, to be bold, inclusive, and relevant, to say who God is, who is a God who loved and made everybody, is a mission we received from day one and will continue to have whether or not we ever earn, give, or save the dollars. Your mission to be created, to be who you are, to be who God loves you to be with all of your talents, talents, not your million dollar talents, but the graces you have been gifted is the mission you have and the love, belovedness that you are, regardless of whether you earn, save, or give a penny at all. These are important questions to ask, and we're going to ask them together about our work life and our earning life, but they are always the second question that comes after the first one, which is, does God love me no matter what? And the answer is always yes. And when you know that for certain, when you know that you can't earn it, then all of the earning questions become a little bit easier because you can let other people into them. You can believe that God cares about them, but also believe that the answers to them are not the answers about who you are because that question has already been asked and answered. You are created and you are loved, and we are happy that you are here. Amen? Amen. So we thank you for sharing that time. We're about to have our communion time and a final song. But before that, we have our time of offering. Our greeters are about to bring forward some baskets. Those baskets are going to go up and down the aisles. And there's all kinds of things that you can put into those baskets. So you can put in cash if you have cash or money. We take it. We, are, we use it for good stuff. Um, but you can also text UVC to 77977. If, It's your first time here. We say you do not have to give. You are a guest of ours. We are being hospitable to you. Absolutely don't worry about it. Um, If you would like to pledge, tell us how much you're going to give next year so that we can plan for next year. You can do that. You can pledge. But the most important thing you can give has nothing to do with any of that. It's you. We want to know who you are. We want you to fill out the tear-off. We want to get coffee with you. We want to hear your story. We want to be changed by it and transformed by it. We want to know how you might lead us into new ways. We want to know what you're up to. We want to know how we might serve you. So please, if you do nothing else, fill out that tear-off. You'll at the very least get a free coffee out of it, even if you never come back. And we'll get to know you, which is the greatest gift of all and the greatest gift God has given us.